You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name, I was I was trying to think as I started, I thought I should do an April Fool's joke because we're recording this on April Fool's. That's right. But by the time we release it, uh, it won't it be. So that doesn't make sense. Right. And I should have planned something before. I'm not... I always think, oh, I'll do it on the fly, and I can never do that. So welcome back to the show. <laughs> my name is Robert Vore. I'm one of your hosts, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Dr. Holly Oxendler. Hey, Holly. Aw, hey, Robert. Today, on we talk <laughs> with um, Nero Feliciano about happiness, contentment, and her new book, which this is such a great title, This Book mm. Won't Make You Happy, Eight Keys to Finding True Contentment. But mm. first, Holly, how are you doing? Well, I am doing all right. I am really excited about getting to listen about this book that we're going to unpack in just a moment um, because I feel like it is, you know, this week we're recording this on Friday, which is a little bit Mm -hmm. later than we typically Mm -hmm. record the intros. And a lot of that has to do with just a lot of things that were happening this week, like Mm -hmm. a lot. I mean, like keeping up with the all the tabs open thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm doing really, really good. I'm excited that we earlier this week I found out that I don't have to keep wearing the sling anymore. So that's exciting. Yeah. So that that was settled. And my research team and I, we launched our survey that I think I've talked about kind of here and there a little bit um in some episodes over the course of the season, but we sent out a survey to over thirteen no, about thirteen thousand educators in social work and psychology and counseling and marriage and family therapy. So yeah. that's really exciting. And yeah. and then I got to go chaperone a zoo field trip yesterday, which was amazing. Wow, it's yeah. so good. Yeah. So that's awesome. What so, was your what was your favorite animal? Do you have like, you know, oh, oh, I love the rhinos or Yeah, no, the otters were my favorite yesterday mm. to watch them because they were like out on full display playing and flipping and swimming and it was just yeah. so fun to watch them. So that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Was it any of the animals' birthdays? I don't know, my friend. I, I do not know. Uh, the uh, I, I think I mentioned a couple recordings ago that uh, we had just come back from a little family getaway. And on that one, uh, we ended up one of the things we found in like the the place where we were visiting. Uh-huh. It was like a local um, animal rescue type of thing. Oh, and uh-huh. they had a that whole Saturday morning, there was a, a birthday party for the bears. So every all the that little is- – there was like – costumed people and there was you know balloons and inside (laughs) all the different uh inside all the different habitats there was like i guess geared towards each type of animal there was like little decorations and all the different and so that's pretty funny oh that's fun yeah so i didn't know if uh if you had seen any animal birthdays there were no animal birthday parties yesterday so but i will maybe next time yeah maybe next time who knows yeah but what about you how how are you doing uh, good. Yeah, yeah. We're doing we're doing well. Uh, I think we're kind of in a a steady, you know, not not normal. Like you know, next week is a normal week, but that never happens. Right, right, right. Yeah. But just things here and there that uh, aren't you know worth talking about on the show per se in terms of like being super exciting. Um, I don't survey hundreds of thousands of people. Oh, you know, I mean, which, <laughs> you know, 
I know the amount, I know uh, the sheer amount of effort that has gone in on your side. I guess I don't know the full extent, but I can tell some, some sense of the scope of that. So uh, I'm thankful that I don't maybe have to do that, but um, yeah, yeah. So, so it's going well. And I've loved these last couple conversations. Yeah. And that actually, to be honest, that was, I was thinking of a segue question, but I think maybe more of an observation because I know mm-hmm. we're we're doing a little bit shorter uh, of an intro today anyway, based on some a lot of the things mm-hmm. happening that, yeah. that we were just talking about. But I think it's so interesting how many of these conversations have had some through lines, right? Yeah. So this one, you weren't you didn't get a chance to be there, right. and so you know yeah. that's why you said you were so excited. And I think you're going to love it. By the way, yeah. I almost yeah. sent you the like unedited files, but I thought she doesn't have a whole you know hour to listen to that anyway. Oh. Yeah, but I mean, well, and by the time this is out, you know, right, I'll be listening yeah. to it anyway, and that's only a few days from right now. So, but no, yeah. I I am very excited about this one. Yeah, but this this conversation, like like I mentioned up top, right? We talk with um, Nero Feliciano, and uh, sh- this book it is so interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, she uh, talks about happiness versus contentment because she had originally set out to write a book on happiness and mm-hmm. ended up switching that to contentment um, as like maybe the the thing that is worth. Not worth, but the thing that that yeah. people are searching for anyway. Yeah. But so many of the things that we talk about and the things that we didn't get to, but that are in the book, are reminiscent of things from your book, things from conversations mm-hmm. we've had this season with mm-hmm. Dr. O'Donnell, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Eric Mitten. That that mm-hmm. act, that we're releasing these in a, a different order, so that one actually hasn't released yet, but mm-hmm. uh, that one will come back around. And so there's like a, I guess, a future tease there. Some of that, right? Like there's, there just seems like there's a through line throughout so many of these that potentially maybe on the, on the back end of COVID here are like glaringly obvious to a lot of us in terms of pace or yeah, yeah. slowing down or like the things that are unhealthy kind of culturally that uh, mm-hmm. I think we probably could have put some language to anyway, but that covid and everything associated with that has kind of put a spotlight on yeah right? that idea of like because we paused for a second mm-hmm. we kind of said oh wait what's happening here and then as things ramped back up we thought okay wait hold, wait wait what do we no we don't have to you don't just go back to that right mm-hmm. we can choose so, not to just go back to that right yeah, yeah. Right. so you know that's an observation and the the question part is maybe like for you, have you seen a lot of that where like, oh, these things are kind of popping up all over the place. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yes, what I wrote is accurate. And like, you know, yeah. just to have that kind of reinforcement coming up uh, time and again, is that something that you found to be true? Yeah. Well? Yeah. I mean, I know you and I definitely have talked about kind of the um, these trends and things that we're noticing and just how in some ways, it just it it feels like you know the, we don't plan these out. It's not like okay, this season we're just going to focus on this topic and we're going to like you know right. organize and schedule for only these individuals to come on to talk about <laughs> this particular yeah. theme or series. Like like we don't do that. So it's kind of right. neat how as we schedule with guests um, and the interviews kind of unfold and the guests kind of take us wherever they're going to take us with the conversations. And, you know, and we have some questions, but like, you know, that, that theme is really, it's, it's neat to see it kind of bubble up and surface. And I know, as you were mentioning, like, you know, I do talk about a number of these things within my book as well. And, you know, and I, I know that, 
it is neat to get to hear other folks kind of echoing and reiterating some of these some of these topics and these ideas and these these things that we need to be hearing. But I yeah. I kind of hear them more with this posture of humility and recognition that you know clearly this there is there's some message that we need to be hearing if we're gonna be hearing it pop up over and over and over in these conversations. Like I know yeah. what it was like for me to sit down and write this book and work on the soul of the helper for the last like, you know, three and a half, four years. And mm-hmm. obviously I wasn't going to, there's no way I could have predicted like, Oh, spring 22, you know, we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of this stuff with other mm-hmm. people too. But like, I don't know, there's a mystery to it that I just really, have a deep gratitude to be able to recognize and hold space for. And, um, and I, and to appreciate like, clearly we need to be hearing these things if we are hearing them from different voices over and over and over again these days. Yeah. So. Yeah. uh, And in different, uh, this is the last thing I'll say, right. Is that doesn't for me and hopefully our listeners get, get the same sense. That's not a like, Oh, I get it repetitive thing because everybody is right. bringing it in such interesting, unique ways, framed yes, in different ways, right? I right. Sometimes I think about like different doors into the same room in terms of like having different conversations or asking different questions that that all kind of go the same place. Yeah. And so different things landing for different people and resonating differently. And so, you know, I'm certainly not trying to say that any of it is repetitive and like, oh, right. listen to one and then skip out because I don't believe that's the case. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing this. But right. it's just, it's cool to hear, you know, some of those themes coming up and, and being reinforced in different ways that that definitely do kind of underline like, oh, yes, pay attention to this. Yeah. Well, with that, we will go ahead and, and get out of the way and let y'all listen to our conversation with Nero Feliciano. All right. Enjoy y'all. Okay, today I'm so excited to be joined by Nero Feliciano. She is a psychotherapist, a podcast host, a national media commentator, and an expert on anxiety, brain science, and spirituality. So the perfect guest for our show. She holds a master's degree in social work from Columbia University and is a columnist for Psychology Today. A first-generation Sri Lankan-American, she lives with her family in Fairfield County, Connecticut. She's the author of This Book Won't Make You Happy eight keys to finding true contentment. Nero, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, Besides that bio there, is there anything else that our audience should know about you? Uh, Well, I'm trying to think if you said I have four kids because that's a a big part of my life. Um, Yeah. That certainly is reflected in my ability to feel content all the time. (laughs) Yeah. but no, that's that's a part of my life that's absolutely important to me. Uh, I love that. I mean, I know you and I were just talking a little bit about parenting and in COVID and all that. So it's definitely you know hard to take that out as not part of you know all of this. So uh, this book, I first off, I loved it. I thought it was great. I oh, kind of good. read through. I mean, it was one of those that once I started reading it, I like didn't put it down. Right. Awesome. You open the book talking about how you had originally wanted to write a book about happiness, which is funny Mm -hmm. that it ended up being titled, This Book Won't Make You Happy, but you ended up writing a book on contentment instead. Can you tell us a little bit of that story? Yeah, of course. So yeah, the interesting thing was, you know, as a therapist, and you know this as a clinician as well, and and your co-host is reading about her as well, um, we see people who are not happy often. 
And so much of the goal of therapy is to give them the tools to help them feel better. And oftentimes what they're looking for is to feel happier. And throughout COVID, what we saw was that we can't always access happy. Sometimes it Mm. feels very unattainable. And especially when we take a closer look at what our culture has led us to believe equates to happy, that too can seem very elusive and difficult. And part of the reason why we are seeing more anxiety and depression in the striving for that kind of happiness. So during COVID, just thinking more about contentment, seeing people appreciate what they had um, and the things they were able to do, even in the midst of a lot of fear and limitations, redirected me more towards the practices that foster that contentment, which actually is sustainable happiness, in other words. Hmm. So it, it seemed like a good switch at that point. And, and also so much of the research points to that type of happiness being the type that actually is more fulfilling than the definition that we often see in the world. Yeah. So you started alluding to it right there, but mm. my next question was going to be, what's the, what's the difference between happiness and contentment, right? I mean, I know uh, there's a, a line in the beginning bit where you say, simply stated, if happiness is defined by having everything you want, contentment is wanting everything you have. So is that kind of the key difference or is there more to that? I think that is the key difference to be able to find satisfaction with who we are, where we are, and what we have. In fact, Psychology Today just wrote an article about it saying that that that, uh, word, satisfaction, that is equated Mm. to a superpower because so many people aren't able to find themselves in that space to be happy with who they are and, and their life as it is now. And, and I think the idea that happiness is wanting everything you have uh, or having everything you want rather is kind of based in the idea that happiness has to do with acquisition, achievement, and Mm. also moving up this ladder of success, whatever that might look like in the context of your life. And that is one that has now, I think, really created just a, a disconnect as we continue to work hard for that type of happiness, which has also increased our anxiety hmm. and just made us tired as yeah. people. You know, I, I think, especially looking at young people these days, the amount that they feel like they have to do to get to whatever this next level is in their life is stressful and exhausting. So, and, and it's a reflection of our measure of happiness related to achievement. So I think if we can go back to what do we have in our life that's good and meaningful and makes us feel connected and gives us purpose, we can find where to start when it comes to contentment. Yeah, that's so good. I often, I ask my clients uh, the the miracle question, and I don't know if you asked this, right? But mm-hmm. the idea being, if I was magic and I, you know, I said, poof, and I did it, I accomplished what you wanted out of therapy. So I can't yeah. give you, you know, a car, a million dollars and you, you know, closed your computer, left the office or whatever, what's different about kind of your day-to-day experience, right? Mm-hmm. It's just this way of getting at really tangible goals because people come in and say, I want to be happy. And I, I say, I don't know what that right. means, right? What does that look like? And most often they say things that based on the, like reading your book, I was like, oh, contentment. That's what, that's what it is, right? The idea of, well, even when things go wrong, I don't kind of spiral out or I can enjoy, you know, I can have some gratitude towards what's around me and I can be more present, right? Like I, all, all of that type mm. of stuff 
is mm-hmm. what usually they kind of describe as like that's what that's what would that's what my day to day would look like. That's what would shift, right? And so right. I've I've never thought of it maybe in the terms of like contentment before, but I think that makes sense as I was reading, thinking, oh right, that's actually that's what people are describing when they say that because happiness is kind of a, a momentary, you know, response to something as opposed to here's my kind of base level, you know. It is. And it's and it is fleeting and and in and of itself, you know, it it does not give us these feelings that we can sustain over long periods of time if we're defining happiness in those terms opposed to contentment. It's interesting because I was reading this article. I'm sure you're familiar with Dr. Lori Santos. She does the Mm. Happiness Lab podcast and she's a professor at Yale. And she was saying that at Yale, my husband's an alumni from there. So we're connected to that school um, at least several times a year. And he, he was they were saying they have this video of students accept, getting their acceptance letter to Yale. And for them, this is one of the happiest moments of their life. But most mm. of them report soon after feeling somewhat terrified and anxious, recognizing what that means. Because yeah. with that comes all of these other challenges, you know, that you don't think about past the acceptance right away, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, I wrote about in the book, you know, new levels, new devils, that saying, just because with those moments do come challenge with acquisition, with achievement, with climbing up that ladder of success is our other challenges and situations that are going to stretch you. So Yes, it may be a moment of happiness, um, but then one that may quickly change just in the na- due to the nature of those situations. Yeah, yeah. So you write. Uh, so this book is in two parts, right? And the first mm. part mm-hmm. you uh, talk about essentially these barriers, right? And it, it's titled "Why is Happiness so Hard to Find," and then kind of sets up like, okay, why? How do we find contentment instead, right? But can you? I, I don't want to go maybe super in depth on all six of those because I think mm-hmm. that, yep. you know what people probably want to hear is some of those the eight keys to contentment, right? Some of those shifts. Uh, but sure. could you? Are, are is there a way to uh, talk about some of those six in kind of broad brush, or you know maybe like here's some things I'm trying to think of a good way, like if they're you know these ones go together or anything like that. But I guess why why is happiness so hard to find? That's a good question. And I didn't even realize there were six until you said it right now. So (laughs) (laughs) I'll give you a quick overview of my thoughts, why it's hard to find. And I think one is we've become a very achievement-driven society. And we look at that as a tangible measure of success. And success and happiness are very much connected. In fact, it's in our kind of American dream you know, documents that pursuit mm-hmm. of happiness, right? Yeah. It's part of this American dream. And in addition to that, now we're holding up all these achievements to, in, in this world of comparison. And comparison has always been something that I think humans, we struggle with. Yeah, We're often so readily able to compare ourselves to people who are doing better, but we don't always um, look at the opposite, you know, the downward social comparisons where, hey, we actually may be in a good place right where we are. Mm. And now with the advent of social media, really from, I believe it was 2012, that the platforms really expanded on social media, which coincidentally or not, was when we saw the most significant decline in the mental health of young people mm. during that year. Comparison is so easy at our fingertips, but we often lose sight that it's not accurately reflective of most people's reality. 
So between the busyness that we um, are, find ourselves in, in that cycle of achievement and acquisition, um, the exhaustion that causes, the disconnect that causes. I mean, just for example, I have four kids that all play sports. We never had dinner together as a family <laughs> until COVID. Yeah. And now we're back to that schedule with kids practicing weekends, you know, holidays for tournaments at till nine o'clock at night because of availability of field sports. There's a disconnect and an exhaustion that goes along with that life. And I think all of those factors, you know, cumulatively, weigh on us, they create more anxiety just in terms of being able to manage all those factors. You know, are we doing everything we need to be doing? Are we doing it well enough? So much of our our measures of worthiness, our value are tied to some of these things as well, right? As measures of our own worthiness, not only success. Um, And I think all of those cumulatively have led us to this place where fewer and fewer people are feeling happy. But really what I what I think it is, fewer and fewer people are feeling content. Hmm. Yeah. And what's that's interesting. We we talked with I agree with you on a lot of that. Right. And Mm. and I'm even thinking about we talked we talked a couple months ago with um, Dr. Michaela O'Donnell about her book, Mm -hmm. Make Work Matter, and the Mm -hmm. shifts that have Mm -hmm. happened in kind of the career landscape. Right. And she uh, had these analogies of work, the way the career used to go. Right. It's kind of an escalator. You kind of get on for some people, obviously, there's lots in that. But you kind of get on and then it kind of goes up and up and up and up until you retire with a gold watch or whatever, right? Mm, And career these days being not that at all, right? I don't know anybody that that's how it works. Everybody, you know, kind of this this idea of like whitewater rafting and everything is shifting constantly. And and I think about when when we're talking about happiness being kind of a temporary emotional response to uh, uh, or emotional reaction to achieving something, right? Kind of gain in some Mm -hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. If that's not, you know, for a lot of people, they go, oh, well, I'm not just getting like promotion and then promotion and then promotion and I have good health insurance and I have, right, there's kind of the stability. If that's not the case, which we know it's not, right, for for the younger generations, then of course that we're not having those moments as much and mm. everything feels a little more tumultuous, right? So it's like the, this weird dynamic there. But, but, but I think as a, so I'm 31, so I'm probably, you know, I'm an elder millennial as I guess the mm-hmm. internet has deemed me. Uh-huh. Um, I think even... Uh, the sense of what I pictured adulthood to be like, you know, kind of, oh, well, once you arrive, then everything calms down and you kind of, right. right? And that's because that's not the case anymore. But I think still some of that kind of societal, like, that's what I expect it to be. And so I must be the one not doing it right, you know? Right, right. Because it doesn't feel like that when I get there. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right. I mean, so many of us go through life with these boxes that we feel like we need to check whether it's career or family or, you know, relationship. And, and then when we get there, we're so consumed with that struggle, right? Is this what I thought it would be? It doesn't feel like it all the time. You talk to any new parent, right? Who's not sleeping at all for months and they can tell you the same thing. Um, But we don't stop because we're consumed by not only the challenges of this next level, but also the expectations that were either met or not unmet. We don't stop to say, okay, even in this, what is good, right? What is good? Mm. Can we actually stop and enjoy the level before we keep going to check Mm. the next box, whatever it is? I I laugh in our culture um, because I'm Sri Lankan, I'm South Asian, and I wrote about this a little bit in the book, how 
you know, the aunties are kind of ruthless in our culture and they'll ask you, <laughs> okay, when are you getting married? And as soon as you get married, the next question is, when are you having a baby? And once you have mm-hmm. a baby, they'll ask you, when's your next baby coming? You know, this child needs a sibling. Yeah. So it's like, let me enjoy this place where I'm at. Um, and I think that's what this book is about. It's, I wanted mm-hmm. to help people figure out how do you enjoy this place that you're at? How do you find fulfillment and meaning? And in doing that, all the research says we lower our anxiety you know, we boost our mood, elevating neurochemicals and we live longer because all of those things are actually good for our health. Yeah. So no, you hit it right on the head in, in terms of expectations. So part two has these eight keys to contentment, right? The subtitle mm-hmm. of the book. And they all, I, I kind of chuckled looking at it when I first opened it because I thought, okay, these are all things that when I list them off, right? Someone's going to go, okay, I've heard these terms. I get it. But like, I have no idea, like so much easier said than done, right? I mean, they all fall in that category. And so I'm curious to get your take on like, okay, what do we, how do we, how do we make some of these into really practical things, right? So we have uh, acceptance, self-compassion, gratitude, connection, present focus, priority and intention, resilience, and faith. So I'm curious, are there to kind of set the stage, right? Because we can't go in depth about all eight of those. All of them. Mm-hmm. Are there some kind of running themes or some groundwork that people could do if they're listening? They say, if I, you know, here's a couple ideas that would set the groundwork for a lot of these or maybe threads that run through multiple of them. Yeah, sure. So it's interesting because, you know, even when you're reading through them, I, I say this in the book, I don't have some holy grail answer to contentment. All of this you've heard before. We <laughs> all know that these things are good for us. What I tried to do was show exactly why they're good for us. How does our body neurochemically respond when we're engaged in these practices? What does it do for our anxiety? And how can we do it in a way where it fits into this busy life that we live? And, And one thing I say very clearly in the book is, I'm not trying to add more stress to you by giving you like an eight part (laughs) to do list. Like that's not the goal here. Um, Pick one, pick one and maybe look through them and see which one seems more of a struggle to me or which one do I feel like just by reading the title, okay, I can do that. I need more of that in my life. And I try and break it down into really simple steps. What's something that you can do that wouldn't add more stress to your life, but yet still has a benefit. And that's the amazing thing we say, okay, thinking about three things that are good in your day or in your week or gratitude journaling. Yeah, that sounds like a nice thing to do, but these practices are actually incredibly powerful. If I told you gratitude journaling and a gratitude practice could increase your lifespan, I mean, I think more people would think about it, right? Hmm, Yeah. But we know that that is what happens when we reduce cortisol and adrenaline especially over prolonged periods of time in our body, our immune function increases. So I think it it really depends on the person, which practice is right for them. But I'd say follow your gut reaction, because that's the other thing. We want to start trusting that voice within us, you know, whether you believe that's your intuition or or the Holy Spirit. And I think that you know, I don't write about that so much in the book, but that was my motivation of writing this book. I feel like when we can start clearing the noise that's in our head and tap into that voice, that's where really contentment lives. Mm. Finding, being able to hear that voice in your life and be led and directed by it. Yeah. I love that you said, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to add more because I think that sometimes that's what ends up happening, right? We go, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to be more self-compassionate. 
And then a week later, you go, oh, gosh, you idiot. You were supposed to be self-compassionate and you can't even do that, right? And it's it's the exact opposite, right? Um, Right. So so if someone says, okay, I'm sure, you know, okay, gratitude, I could journal three things, you know, make a little gratitude jar or a thankful jar. You know, I could, Mm. okay, I can do some things like that. But some of them do seem to be a little bit hamstrung by the water we're swimming in. I'm thinking of, you know, connection, right? Someone goes, Mm, yeah, mm -hmm. of course I want to make friends and have these deep relationships, but it's so hard given everything that's happening and everybody's schedules, right? Uh, Right. Can you talk a little bit about that one? Yeah, connection's huge. And I do think it's it's kind of the heartbeat of contentment, being connected Mm -hmm. to other people. Um, And not just for enjoyment and pleasure, but through service as well. I think both of those things, there's so much research on what it does for us um, and and how it affects our feelings of contentment in this life. And what I would say is like anything else, unless we're intentional about it, I don't know anyone, regardless of what you do in your life, I don't know very many people who have extra time. (laughs) I think if, if, it comes down to it and we know it's important and it becomes a priority in our life. And I'm hoping once people read about what it can do in your life, it will become a priority. We schedule it in, you know, we make time for it. And we also look at what are all the other things that are sucking up our time that really are not that meaningful, that are not that important, but so much of our time goes to those places. Um, Maybe those are things you're doing out of obligation for me, I can tell you definitely, I had this battle with my phone and devices in terms of the time that that was taking on things that weren't all that meaningful to me. So I think we just have to kind of take an honest account of our life and not saying that everyone has several hours a week to meet up with people, but hey, what if I just started with scheduling one lunch or walk with someone who I care about who I don't get to see that often? Well, then we're one yeah. step further than we were a month ago, right? Yeah. But I think small steps, don't underestimate the power that small things can do in your life. Um, yeah. We take that small step and then we build from there. Yeah. And I, I do think the uh, I, I kind of jumped over acceptance and self-compassion mm, a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I think those those are helpful throughout. You know, I'm even thinking about connection, right? If you If you're listening to that and you go, oh gosh, you know, how come I don't have any friends? I, I really, that's a waste of my time. I'm doing this badly, right? That mm. That's probably not the best place to start from because then there's some judgment in there, right? Which, you know, right. obviously is not helpful. So starting with, okay, where am I in terms of my uh, my connections and how, you know, how is that working for me? Stuff like that, right? And then, okay, that's fine that, you know, I'm not judging that in a sense, like I should have done something different, but from that place, then I could go, okay, well, how do I want to shift that in these you know, small steps, sustainable ways that you're talking about, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And even if someone doesn't have many friends, it does not mean that then connection is off the table for you. There are many ways we can connect. We can connect through volunteering. We can connect through a group that maybe we haven't tried before, um, something where people share common interests. We can connect by doing something for the person who lives next to you, you know, finding some random act of kindness. And all of them elicit the same benefits, both emotionally and physically, you know, on different levels, of course, depending on how yeah. often you do something. But it, they're all a start in terms of connection. Sometimes even say, just send a text to someone you're thinking about mm-hmm. saying, hey, you've been on my mind. I just want to tell you that. I've been thinking about you. How are you? I hope you're doing well. Even that 
can serve as the beginnings of connection or deepening connection. So there's always something I believe someone can do. It's just a matter of kind of thinking outside the box and letting go of that piece and practicing self-compassion, like you said. Um, You know, we have to be willing to make mistakes and not do this perfectly in order for us to to continue this type of habit and practice. Yeah, I, I think a, a lot about the the phrase, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, right? And, and oh, the idea yeah. right there of, well, sure, I could send a text to someone, but like really what I want is a group of five friends who like get dinner once a week and come over mm-hmm. and, you know, they, they'll, they'll watch each other's kids. Yeah, for sure. Like that sounds awesome. Right. But you're, you can't jump straight to that, right? If If what is feasible right now is, you know, I started a group chat with some friends and we just text, you know, how's your day, whatever that's fine. Like that's a good starting place. That is better than, uh, well, one day I'll have those five friends that, you know, walk in and out of each other's houses forever. But until then I, I won't, I can't do anything. Right. That sense yeah. of, kind of paralysis yeah. there. Yeah. Cause that can be paralyzing and discouraging from wanting to start anywhere. But you know, those people with those five friendships, they'd started somewhere too. So I, I think to think about, we don't want to give up that goal. Right. And because we feel like it's not attainable, it is. But what is one small step you can take towards that to deepen one connection? You mm-hmm. know, and who knows? Maybe the connection you deepen, that person's connected to four other people, and they're looking for someone to <laughs> to <laughs> yeah. join them. You know, maybe they're tired of each other; they want something new. So, I'm just kidding. But you know, <laughs> yeah. any anything can happen. Anything can happen. But I think start start with that one step to move you towards that goal that feels doable. It may yeah. feel a little daunting. You know, there's a difference between daunting and stressful, right? Mm. Um, but that feels doable. You feel like, you know what? I can do that. I can do that. Yeah. That's usually the right one. Yeah. The the next one, uh, you know, uh, we've touched a little bit on acceptance, self-compassion, gratitude, connection. The next one is present focus. I think mm. this is another one that People often say, yeah, I want, you know, I want a sense of presence. I want to be able to, to kind of be present. But the, I think starting with the acknowledgement that we are swimming in the water of like the most forward, you know, everything is next, next, everything's scheduled, kind of that achievement, right? right? Like, mm-hmm. so how do we shift some of that? Because that's one I think that easily lends to self-judgment of, oh, I'm just trying to be more present, but I can't stop my mind from racing about what 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 are having for lunch tomorrow or the meeting I have to schedule. Or, you know, for me, yesterday uh, was Sunday. We're recording this on a Monday. Yesterday, I'm playing with my kids and I'm also thinking about, okay, I have two podcast recordings tomorrow, these interviews that I need to right. make sure that I prep because I, I want to do your time justice. And sure. I need to finish editing the one that we released this morning, Monday morning. And we had a small group last night. So like, there is stuff that I need to keep in there somewhere, right? Like, sure. so how do we how do we start maybe some of that process without throwing ourselves under the bus of, well, give up on everything else. And if you're not doing that, then you're doing it totally wrong. Yeah, no. I mean, I think it's natural with busy lives and people who are goal focused that there is going to be kind of this running list in your mind um, of the things that you have to do. And I do think, especially now more than ever, we do have to train our brains to be present. It is actually a practice to learn to be present. And with our smartphones with us all the time, you know, we're used to multitasking, we're used to thought switching very quickly just because what we can be exposed to just within, 
five minutes can have such a range. You know, you click on one that clicks on another article that's something else <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. You can look it all up in five minutes. So our brains are actually becoming um, more fractured in terms of our ability to concentrate on one thing. And one of the things I talk about in the book is the practice of meditation and mindfulness, essentially just practicing paying attention to what you're paying attention to, single focus, single tasking, and that can then train your brain to be present in experiences. And I talk about in the book how there's a formal way to do this if you want to get into mindfulness and meditation, but even just very doable ways every day, you know, take five minutes while you're eating and pay attention to what you're eating, you know, without doing anything else. And even that mm -hmm. can get your brain more wired and focused to being attentive in the present. Yeah. So with things like that, because I'm like you too, Robert, you know, I always have a ton of things going, who, what kid needs to go where and, you know, what interviews right, am yeah. I doing? What patients am I seeing? Lists are, are huge for me because what we found is if we try and kind of maintain that list mentally, we use up valuable neuroenergy resources that could actually go to help us focusing on whatever we're doing mm. in that moment yeah. that gets diverted in, in just trying to remember all those things that we have. So if we can make a list and maybe time block when we're going to do these things, then we take it out of our heads and then we can focus on something that requires more energy to be present in. So that, that has helped me a ton. And also just literally being intentional in terms of our thoughts saying, I am with my husband right now. I'm going to pay attention to him. That means maybe my phone doesn't even come with me right now to serve as a distraction or just wanting to jump on that yeah. and, and being able to take in the details of that experience. And that's what mindfulness and meditation teach us to do, but we can even just be intentional about saying, okay, what distractions do I need to eliminate right now so yeah. that I can be focused on what's happening in front of me? Yeah, I love that. Again, this idea of maybe small things, not expecting, okay, poof, now I, I'm only ever going to have be right here where I am. But okay, if I can dump some stuff out of my brain into a list for later, then I don't have kind of, you know, that background program running, trying to remember it or uh, I know, you know, a couple of years ago, I turned off all push notifications on my phone yep. except for like text messages and calls. Yeah. And it's incredibly helpful, right? Because I'm not Huge. kind of constantly trying to fight off, you know, oh, here's a Twitter notification. Here's uh, whatever. No here's an email, right? Like, and I have to, I have to then be more intentional with, okay, I do need to check my email throughout the day because, you know, I, there is stuff I need right. to respond to. Mm -hmm. But at least I'm not using up kind of my, you know, mental willpower of saying, no, don't do that. No, don't do that. Don't ignore that for now. Right. I'm not having to constantly kind of shift back and forth, which yeah. is exhausting and uses up, you know, some of that, that energy. It does. And it also, there's research that has documented it causes a low level of anxiety if we feel that we constantly have to be checking on something. Um, I also shut off all notifications on my phone. I don't even get texts because that was kind of going all day long. Hmm. And like you said, I have to be intentional about the times that I go back and check it. But that that's huge because those notifications automatically bring you into another world when you don't want them to right? When it may not yeah. be convenient, it takes you out of your reality, out of what you're doing in that moment into something else. And it's interesting you talk about willpower because willpower, like a muscle, can be exhausted. Yeah, And because yeah. Um, so much of what we're dealing with now has to do with our 
uh, dopamine response, right? So anytime there's new information is when dopamine shows up and it serves as a reward um, so that we continue to reinforce that behavior, continue to do the same thing that brought about that dopamine release in the first place. So what we're doing, what we're dealing with is something far more powerful than that necessitates more than willpower to get past, you know, because neurochemically it makes more sense for us to be doing these things that take us out of the present or we do receive a reward for, for it, um, that activates those pleasure circuits. So the, the intentionality in it is super important. Yeah. And I think that that's really important to highlight because I, I do think sometimes when we talk about, you know, willpower or whatever, a lot of people kind of think, oh, well, you know, I'll just try harder next time to be better mm. or I'll just try harder to focus. Right. Right. And if, if we can say, okay, that's not, that's not really the, I mean, I don't even know what try harder means in those contexts, right. but also if you could remove some things to where you, you you don't have to spend all that energy and you can yes. make it easier and more possible, which then grows those muscles a little bit, then why yes. wouldn't you do that? Right. It's not a matter of just, you know, oh, I'll try harder next time. And if, you know, if that doesn't work, then I'll be discouraged that I failed, you know? Um, so I think that's a, a good point talking about the, the yeah, yeah, and all that. yeah. I think we can try really hard, but we are fighting our own brain chemistry at a certain point. So that does necessitate kind of a higher level of intervention if we want to change behavior. And I yeah. and I, the reward is worth it in changing that behavior. And that's that's a piece, you know, when we when we can engage in those habits, when we figure out what is going to work for us. Um, we really can tap into that contentment, which then will also serve as a reward to continue. Yeah. So we dabbled a little bit there in terms of priority and intention, but I do want Mm -hmm. to ask some about resilience and faith, because I think those are two that uh, the words themselves hold a lot of meanings. And so I'm curious if, if you would unpack those two a little bit in terms of what does that mean for us in, in finding contentment, right? Because if, I don't know, obviously there's some, you know, oh, well, if you have faith, you should just be content. Well, that's not, you know, Mm, and that can mm kind of lead to some shame and stuff. So could you unpack a little bit of those two? Yeah, of course. And those two, you know, it's funny because it it feels like somehow the practices, they're a little bit disjointed because I'm talking about things like gratitude and then talking about resilience and (laughs) resilience. Oftentimes people feel like you're either born with it or you're not. Yeah. But like any of these things, resilience or a resiliency mindset can be learned. And if we can grow our mindset to be more resilient, we are going to be more content in life. And the way that I think about resilience, it is that emotional and psychological flexibility so that when we come up with a challenge or even an expectation that's not met to be able to say, you know what? this is okay. This is okay. I'm going to figure this out. It is going to work out somehow. And I think, you know, for me being, having faith and being a Christian and holding on to that verse that all, all things work for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, it makes it easier for me to adapt a resiliency mindset. But for people who, you know, that, that hasn't made all that much sense in their life, we can look at other situations where our expectations haven't been met. But the situation worked out anyway. I think Mm. about some of my clients, you know, who applied to schools and they didn't get into where they wanted to get in. And then they ended up going to a school and say, I can't imagine going anywhere else. Right. Yeah. Well, in that moment, 
when we didn't get in or what didn't go our way, if we can say, you know what, this has happened before and, and it's going to be okay. That is the emotional flexibility, psychological flexibility that we need, which I think is kind of at the heart of resilience that can help us find contentment, especially when things don't go as we expected when we're faced with those challenges. Yeah. I love that you used and there, right? You said this didn't go my way and this has happened before. So I know that that it'll be okay. And I I think that's important because so often some of these things we can use as kind of spiritual bypassing, right? Like, oh, Mm. well, if I say this sucks, but everything will be okay. So then I shouldn't feel this pain or this disappointment, right? And I don't think that's what you're talking about. It's the both, Both right? I can embrace yeah. that this this hurts, this does, like I feel sad and disappointed or angry, like I feel that. And I also know that things, I have that flexibility, I can work through that or I can move forwards or, you know, same with gratitude, right? You're not saying, yes. oh, well, ignore everything bad and only focus on the good. You're saying, well, things hurt and I'm thankful for these things. And those are, you know, kind of holding that tension. Yeah, Robert. And also that's why I started these eight keys with acceptance. Yeah. Because first we have to sit with the discomfort and the pain before we can move on to that other place and acknowledge what we're feeling. And that enables us actually through the research we know to release it and process it and work through it a little bit sooner. And notice I say those things to myself. Those verses (laughs) I hold on to myself. Yeah. I'm not gonna sit with someone and be like, everything happens for a reason. And in fact, I think I even say that in the book. Please don't say that to people who are (laughs) going through something hard right now. It's not what they want to hear in that moment. But when we can access that ourselves for ourselves, it becomes a lot more powerful. And we can do that drawing on our own experiences in the past and look at our, at our strengths in the present. You know, what do we have that is still good even when things are not going the way we anticipated? That yeah. can develop a resiliency mindset. Yeah. I love that. And I know you touched some on faith there. Faith. As, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, it was interesting because, you know, faith has always been a, a important part of my life and then when I was working on this book Um, My publisher and author were like, this is not going to be central to your book. And I said, (laughs) okay, yeah, no, I I hear that. And the research on faith was really interesting. It was, okay, you know what? There are a lot of people that are content. They're seemingly content that don't have faith. And is it actually a relationship with God? Or is it Mm. those things that organized religion bring to us in terms of connection and community and service that actually foster contentment. And and this is where I think I diverge from the research. The research seems to think it's more that community experience where we're afforded that sense of belonging. Mm. But I can tell you going through COVID, when my church was shut down, when I couldn't see people, it was not that piece of faith that sustained me in those hard times. It was my connection to God, to something bigger than myself. Yeah. in those moments. And that's something that it's it's hard to explain in words to people unless you experience it. But if people are open to that, and this is part of what I love doing through my podcast as well, Things Life, we have some episodes that are general wellness and some that are spiritual. Um, they're called Soulful Sundays. And where we talk about how people experience that bigger than themselves relationship, that experience with God or their own spirituality, how they tap into that voice, how it leads them. And some of the stories are just amazing. 
So yeah, I don't know if you can quanti- make that quantifiable in terms of the research. Um, I think they're moving towards that in the field of neurotheology, which I touch on in that chapter. But I do think that when you are connected to something bigger, it does um, foster this sense of contentment, especially at times when things are challenging. But in my case, I found even when times are really good, you know, it makes me more yeah. grateful. Um, so many of the other, these seven keys flow out of that relationship very naturally. Um, yeah. And the one thing I'll say about contentment, like you said, if you have faith, are you naturally content? Um, in Philippians, Paul says, I have learned to be content. It mm. is a learning process. It is not something that we are naturally feel, um, especially when things go wrong. It is something, though, that we can learn in any situation to to practice it yeah. through these practices to find contentment and and stay present in the things that truly matter. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. The, the I don't know, there's sometimes there's like poof, I, you know, now I should be all good and happy because, mm. you know, whatever. And that's not how essentially anything works, but you know, no. we know, you know, with neuroplasticity and all that, right? Like that's not how that tends to work. And so no. if we think about it kind of like muscles, right? Like can we flex and grow and exercise? Can we do them in small ways that then grow and grow and grow, that seems to make more sense, even in terms of, you know, the verses about like working out my salvation. That's how I understand those is like, can I practice this so that more and more Mm. it becomes my default, right? Like, but it took a lot of, you know, it's a, it's a gradual thing, just like essentially anything else. Right. And like you said, with neuroplasticity, it takes time to build up those pathways. So it feels organic. And, and if you think about it, it's not just about building up, but it's deconstructing what's already existing that isn't serving us, right? Mm, so yeah. that takes time too. But the more we practice, the more we engage in the learning, um, the sooner that happens. So it does start somewhere. It is with those small steps and it can happen, as you say, as we build up those muscles so that it feels more like a natural response that really is reflective of who we are. That yeah. transformation happens over time. Yeah. That's so good. Listener, if you want to connect with Nero, you can find her at neurofeliciano.com, facebook.com slash neurotherapy, on Instagram at neuro underscore Feliciano, Twitter at neurofeliciano. You can listen to All Things Life podcast, uh, and you can buy this book, Won't Make You Happy, Eight Keys to Finding True Contentment, wherever you buy books. You can connect with Holly, who's not here, at hollyoxhandler.com or on any social media at hollyoxhandler. You can connect with me at robert-vore.com or on any social media at robertvore. Nero, thank you so much for joining us today. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners? Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me and for reading the book. And I so appreciate your kind words and feedback about it. I do want to say that, um, and I'm not sure when you're releasing this episode, but until April 12th, I do have some bonuses for people Mm, who have pre-ordered the book. And we came up with a seven-day guide to feeling more content called Satisfied. So those are those Mm. small things that you can do that really have a lot of power to them. And then I have two videos on there just for people who are looking to try and become more present in their life. There's a little video on guided meditation and relaxation breathing, which sometimes people find very difficult to access. But these are some exercises I've done for clients for years. And some 
um, of my best anxiety tips that really work. And there's also an excerpt mm. of the book there while you're reading. So that's all on my website. They can find that at neurofluciano.com. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMH Podcast at gmail.com.